Welcome to the STSA Church Podcast. Each week, we discuss relevant, thought-provoking topics that challenge us to understand our faith more personally and engage in it more practically. We aim to communicate the depth and riches of our ancient faith in simple and understandable ways that are relatable to the modern world. All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA, where we are kicking off a brand new series called Stories Jesus Told, The Kingdom Parables. But before I get into the topic for today, as a priest, as you can probably imagine, I get a lot of questions from people, all kinds of questions. People stop me in the street, ask me questions, people email me all the time, text me, whatever it is. And there's a lot of questions that people want to know answers to, and they think that because I'm a man of God, I'm supposed to have all these answers. So I get questions like, you know, how do I know the will of God for my life? Like, how do I know this decision or that decision? I had questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? And why did this happen to my mom? Or why didn't this happen to my dad? I get questions about, of course, family and relationships. Like, how do I change my spouse? I get questions about what do I do with my kids? I get questions like, not change my spouse, like trade out, meaning like change their behavior. Sorry, I should have said that. Okay? Not like trade A for B, but I mean, you never know. Okay? I get questions, all kinds of questions about different things in life, but recently, I have noticed an increase in a specific type of question. I'm getting a lot more questions about heaven, about the kingdom of heaven. I'm getting a lot more questions of what's it like in heaven? And what's the criteria to enter? Will so-and-so be there? How will we know? I had one person actually ask me this question. They were asking in all seriousness. They said, what's so great about heaven? Seems like it's going to be boring. Is it just sitting on a cloud and singing hymns all day? So when I told this person, I said, hey, look, there's a lot of things I don't know the answer to, but one thing I know for sure, you want to be in heaven, okay? Because trust me, it's better than the the toilet paper commercials or anything like that. So anything you've seen right there, trust me, I don't know what exactly is going to be, but I know you're going to want to be inside there. But all these questions highlight something that's important for us, and that is this. We know very little about the kingdom of heaven. We know very little about the kingdom of heaven. And it's understandable why, because by definition, heaven is not earth. So therefore, it's a place that none of us live. So heaven, for example, is infinite. We are finite. Finite is hard to understand infinite. Heaven is, is, is eternal. We are temporal. We are physical beings. We live on a physical planet. Heaven is much more than just physical. So it's understandable why it's hard for us to, uh, to, to, to struggle to understand what heaven is all about. But it does lead to a problem, and that problem is this. The problem is that it's a lot harder to find something when you don't know what you're looking for. Agree? It's a lot harder to find something if you don't know what you're looking for. Like if I told you, there's a treasure in this room, go find it. It's going to be a lot easier if I tell you what kind of treasure. Like what, what shape is it? What size is it? What color is it? How big is it? How small is it? When it comes to heaven, if our journey, if our journey in life is to get there, then the starting point is we have to identify what does it look like? Identify the target and the goal so we know what we are aiming at. So my question to you, maybe you've never asked these questions. My guess is you probably have, like most people. What is heaven? Is heaven a physical place? Or is heaven just a state of mind? Is heaven like, 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 can I, can I, like, Google Maps, like, get me to heaven? Like, is it like down 66, you know, exit whatever it may be? Is like, is that heaven? 
Or is heaven just like wherever you are right now? When, when do the doors to heaven open? And when the doors do open, can you get in right away? Is there like a wait time? And then like, what's the criteria to enter? Do I need a ticket? Do I, is there like a subscription? Can I like auto subscribe? So it's like renews every year. These are the questions that a lot of us may struggle with. Well, here's the thing that I discovered is that while every single person, every person, every person agrees that we want to go to heaven, there isn't a person who doesn't say, I want to go to heaven. We may not know what, we may disagree on what's going to happen when we get there. We may, may disagree on the criteria to get in. We may disagree on a lot of things, but what we all agree is where, when all is said and done, that's where we want to be. While we all agree that we want heaven. The problem is, it's a lot harder to find something when you don't know what it is you're looking for. And that's where this series comes in. The name of this series is Stories Jesus Told, The Kingdom Parables. Each week in this series, we are going to look at one parable that Jesus told. And each parable, we're not going to go verse by verse, like it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a study, like an expository study on every single detail, but we're going to go through the parables. And each week, we're going to try to answer one question. Where is the kingdom of God in this parable? Where is the kingdom of God in this parable? Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21 kind of sets the tone for this series. Jesus one time with a group of people, and it says, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, highlight that word when, they said when, when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. And I put in parentheses in your midst because that phrase within you is more accurately translated and many translations will say it that way, in your midst. So notice what happened right here. These guys asked Jesus, like we would ask, when does the kingdom come? When is the end of the world? When is the, the second coming? They asked when. Did Jesus answer when? He did not tell them when. He answered what? Where? They said when? He said where? When is it coming? And he said, you're asking the wrong question, man. You shouldn't be asking when. You should be asking where. Why? Because he's saying it's already here. And it's in your midst. The expression in your midst. Like we take this and say the kingdom of God is within you. That's sometimes how we think of it. Like within you, that's not like that's fine and we can take it that way. But that's not exactly what he meant. What he meant literally is in your midst, like within you, collective you. Think of it as Jesus was surrounded by a circle of people all around, all around. And they're like, when's the kingdom? When's the kingdom? He's like, look in your midst. Look in the middle of you. Look within you together. Okay, it's like me telling this section over here, look within you, meaning right, like right in the middle. In other words, Jesus is saying like, hello, the kingdom of heaven is here. You're looking saying, when's the kingdom coming? The kingdom is amongst you as we speak. So the first thing that we're going to start this series is we're going to understand that the kingdom of God is not something that we have to wait for. The kingdom of God is here now. Now, with that said, the fulfillment of the kingdom, yes, that's coming at the end of this world. So there'll be a point in time where all this is gone and that's the fulfillment of it. But we can still taste it and live in it and experience it from here and now. Think of it like engaged life versus dating, or sorry, dating versus marriage. Yeah, when you're married, that's the fulfillment of it. But you can still live together now, okay, and experience, not, not live together now, okay, but... <laughs> Like you can still enjoy each other now, and ex but don't enjoy too much each other now, okay? <laughs> you can still start a relationship with each other now, 
Okay? But the fulfillment is then. It's the same thing here. You don't got to wait till you die to experience heaven. You don't got to wait till the end of this world to experience the kingdom. Jesus said, they said, when is the kingdom? When is the kingdom? When is the kingdom? He said, look around, dummy. It's in your midst. That's like, that's like you walking, that's like someone walking the door right now and say, when does the well begin? Uh, right now. <laughs> You're in the middle of it. You're interrupting it. So in this series, we're going to do, since the kingdom of God is here, we don't have to wait for it. We can begin it right now. We're going to try to answer the question, where is it? If we know it's here, we know it's in our midst, we know it's amongst us, we know we can taste it, where can I find it? Because if I tell you it's in this room, but I don't know what I'm looking for and what shape it is and what color it is and what, what size it comes in, then we're at risk of missing it. I'll tell you another way that you know the kingdom of God is here amongst us. Every time we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. So we pray the Lord's Prayer a billion times a day. Okay, probably today, if you attended the service from the start till now, you probably prayed it at least 10 times, and you should hopefully pray more times like, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. Think about it. If that prayer doesn't apply until after you die, then the church is telling us, and Jesus is telling us, vain repetition. If that verse, if that sentence doesn't apply, thy kingdom come, if that doesn't apply today, like why pray it if it doesn't apply right now? And then why pray it when I get home unless it applies right now? Because what it's saying is, as I enter my house, Lord, thy kingdom come. Let me find your kingdom when I'm entering my house. Let me find your kingdom as I'm entering this group of, uh, this, 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 this event that I'm going to. Let me find your kingdom as I'm sitting alone in the quiet. Because the kingdom of God, we are going to see throughout this series, is it's there and it's amongst us. But the problem is, if we don't know what we're looking for, we may miss it. And that's especially dangerous with the kingdom because one thing we do know about the kingdom of God is Jesus says the road isn't always easy. He said the road is sometimes narrow and it's sometimes rocky. And there's not that many people on it. So because of that, it's not always going to be the easiest thing to find. But the more we know what we're looking for, the more we can find it and live in the kingdom of God together from here and now. So if our goal is to find the kingdom of God, simple. Let's go to the teachings of Jesus and see what did Jesus teach us about the kingdom of God. I want to go into the New Testament. I want to go straight to Jesus and say, Jesus, tell me about the kingdom of God. And I want to hear very clearly and directly what he said. But there's a problem. The problem is what? When Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, he never spoke clearly and directly about it. There's many times that Jesus, Jesus used different teaching methods. Okay, sometimes Jesus spoke very directly about certain subjects. Like, for example, murder, that's no good. Lying, no good there. Adultery, don't do that. Don't even look at that. Don't even think that. That's no good. Spoke very directly. There's no wiggle room on that. But the problem is, when it comes to heaven, all those other things he spoke directly were about life on earth, where one plus one equals two. The problem is heaven is beyond earth. Heaven is beyond words. Heaven is infinite. So what happens when you want to explain something to someone and words don't suffice? What do you do? You draw a picture. And Jesus did exactly that. He drew a picture with his words. He told a story. And those stories are called parables. And when Jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven, and when Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, Jesus most often spoke in parables. 
And you can understand why. Because sometimes when words do, just don't cut it, a story fills, finishes the job. And what a parable is, if you want to know what a definition of a parable, here's our working definition. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus wanted to describe heavenly things that couldn't be described in words, so what he did is he told stories. Stories, who doesn't love a good story? I meet people from all over the place like, Father Anthony, your sermons are the best, and your sermons are the best, and I still remember that sermon you gave, and I say, tell me what you remember about it. They say, you told that story about your wife and how she threw up in the helicopter, and be like, okay, what was the spiritual? Like, I don't know, but that story was funny. Or you told that story about your daughter, you told, people remember stories. Stories are what stick with people. So when Jesus wanted to teach us difficult things, he used stories. Like, for example, let's say I want to teach you, God cares about you. So here's a sermon. God cares about every one of you. Go home and see what happens. Versus I tell you, God is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And those sheep were so valuable that even when one of those sheep went away, just one of the sheep, he left the 99 to go for the one. The story sticks. If I tell you, God forgives all your sins, no matter what you do, God forgives, God forgives, God forgives. That's good, but you know what's better? A man had two sons. And one of those sons did a really bad thing. And he wasted all his money. And he spat in his father's face. And he did the worst and the worst and the worst and the worst. And before the son even came back, the father ran out to hug him and threw a party for him. You see how his story completes the picture that words just can't do by themselves? All the teaching in the world can't do what one story can do. And that's why Jesus used them. And keep in mind, when we talk about parables, parables are not fairy tales. They're not like Aesop's fables. Okay, they're real stories about things that really took place, but they're just not about specific events in time. Meaning like Jesus will tell a story about, he doesn't tell stories about like unicorns and like talking horses and gremlins. Like that, that's not what parables are. They're real stories about a man who had two sons. Men had two sons and sons. So it wasn't about a specific person or specific event, but it was about a man threw a banquet for his son or a, a, a master had two servants. Or um, a one person, uh, a father commanded his sons this and this. These are real life things that took place, but not actual events that took place in time. So with that said, we are going to start today. Every week we're going to talk about one parable. And again, we're not going expository verse by verse, but just one question. Where is the kingdom of God in this parable? Where is the kingdom of God in this parable? Today we're going to start with what is probably the most popular and the most famous and the most well-known of all the parables that Jesus ever told. And there's people out there who never heard of the Bible, don't know anything in the Bible, but they know this story. And there's even laws in our country named after the main character in the story. And that parable is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Everyone knows the term Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan means helping someone in need. You see charities about Good Samaritan. You see organizations, you see buses drive by, the Good Samaritan bus, whatever it may be. Well, all of those originated from a parable, a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10. And the story begins, look at the context of the story. Jesus is with a group of people and they ask him a question about eternal life. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So the starting point is, let's talk about heaven. Tell us about heaven. What do we need to do? Just exactly how we started the story, started today's session. We said, we want to know about eternal life. 
And Jesus responds to the lawyer, and he tells him, well, you've read the law. You're a lawyer. Okay, what do you think the law says? And the man correctly answers and says, the law is all about love. Love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus says to him, okay, you got it. So Jesus gave him a direct answer. It's love God and love your neighbor. But the problem is the direct answer didn't work. He didn't get it. So he asked this, verse 29. He says, who is my neighbor? So you see the direct statement? The guy didn't get it. So Jesus said, okay, you know what? The direct statement isn't going to do it when it comes to things about heaven. So let me tell you a story. We're going to read the story the whole way through right now. Then we'll go back and break it down and answer our question. Verse 30. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who had stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? You see how Jesus does it? Tell us about heaven. Tell us about the kingdom. He says, easy, it's love. Kingdom is not rules. Because God is love. The kingdom of God is love. It's all about love. Like, that's it. There's no rules. But the guy's like, but I don't get it. What do you mean there's no rules? And how do I know who to love? And what's love? So he said, okay, 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 okay. Let me tell you a story. And we all know how the story goes. Man fell among thieves. Priest walks by, does nothing. Levite walks by, does nothing. Samaritan comes and helps him and heals him. And Jesus says to him, very simple. Now you get it. You get what love your neighbor means? The best thing about parables, the best thing about parables is parables have infinite depth. Like again, if I tell you, you shall not commit adultery. You understand it? You don't do it? Done. But if I tell you, love your neighbor the way this good Samaritan, I tell you this story. Like there's infinite levels. Like you can understand that as a first grader. You can understand that as a college student. You can understand that as a senior citizen. Like there's all kinds of different levels of understanding. You've never gotten to the bottom of a parable. And to show you, okay, one of the things that the, 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 the church has always done, especially when it comes to the parables, is understand them in an allegorical context. Allegory is a cool word. What it basically means is understanding things symbolically. And there's a great scholar in, in, the, in, the, in the Coptic church's tradition. His name is Origen. And I want to share with you one of his interpretations of this of this parable because what I want to do is I want to stretch our minds here. Okay, think of it like a warm-up exercise. Before we get to our topic about the kingdom, we're doing like a warm-up. So stretch our minds how to see this simple story and potentially different lights. So Origen says it this way. He says, he goes through every character. So first you have a man who's walking down the road. Who's the man? The man is Adam. Okay, symbolizing all of mankind. The man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And even if you paid attention, it said going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jerusalem was a city up on the top of a hill. So when he says going down, it was physically going down, like down in altitude. But Jerusalem always represents heaven and Jericho would represent earth. So what happened is the man fell from the paradise, 
okay, from where he was, and he fell down into Jericho, and Jericho was what? Was the place where there were robbers. What were the robbers? Those are the demons. And the demons messed up Adam, and they, and they knocked him down, and they left him half dead. And then, when the man was lying there half dead, two guys walked by to try to save, who should have been able, who should have saved him, and should have helped him, but they weren't able to. The priest and the Levite. And these were the two people that God sent in the beginning to help, but they couldn't help. And this is the law and the prophets. The law couldn't save man, and neither could the prophets. Then all of a sudden you had the Samaritan. The unexpected savior came out of left field. And who is that? That's Jesus. And when Jesus came, he gave the man two things, oil and wine. Oil and wine. And then he put him in the inn. Oil represents what? Holy Spirit. Oil is always the Holy Spirit. So Christ came to give man the Holy Spirit, wine, the blood of Christ. So the man was saved and healed through the Spirit and through the blood. And then the man was taken to an inn. And the inn is what? The church. And the Samaritan said to the innkeeper, take care of this, of this, of this man until I come back again. See that? That's, that's allegorical interpretation. That's the way that you can look at everything and find and meaning in it. Now, that's not our topic here for today, but I just wanted to show you that you can look at the parables. There's so many different levels, and that's why when it comes to heaven, you can't just go direct. Like, I can't tell you it's 12 acres, and it's this many square feet, and it's at the end of this plot of land. You got to tell it by a story, which is what Jesus did. So now we're going to go back, and we're going to break down the story based on our goal, which is to understand where is the kingdom. First, we have to understand the cultural context. Jewish society at the time had three groups of people. There was three groups of people in Jewish society. You had the Jews, you had the Levites, and then you had the priests. And there are circles like that. So we're all the Jews, and then a group of Jews, a smaller subset, is the tribe of Levi, and they're the Levites. And then a small subset of the Levites were the priests. So you had, you know, X number of Jews, there was all the people, the congregation, and then a subset of them was Levites, and then a subset of them was the priests. Anything outside of this circle didn't matter. Anything outside of the circle. So these are the Jews, everything else, they're outside, that's the Gentiles. Nobody cared about them as far as the Jews. They were all outsiders, no, they had no place in society, they were like the animals, they were worse than the animals. And who fits in that category? is Samaritans. Samaritans were not only outsiders. They were worse than outsiders. Like outsiders, people born on the other side of the world, they just didn't know anything about anything. Just leave them over there. But Samaritans were apostates. Samaritans were traitors. Samaritans were enemies. And if you want to understand why, you got to go back about 800 years before Christ. And in the beginning, Okay, of the kingdom of Israel, you had the first king was Saul, then you had David, then you had Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two, the north and the south. The north was the bigger piece, okay, it took 10 of the 12 tribes, the, the south was the smaller, but the south was the more significant because they got the more important city, which was Jerusalem. So what happened is the north, Samaria, was like the capital city of the north. So anyone from this northern kingdom was called the Samaritans. The south, the capital city, was Jerusalem. So that's why they were called the Jews. So you had the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans who shared the same country at one point in time. 
But by this point in time, okay, I'll show you a verse from John chapter 4. Listen to what John, the beloved, who's all about love, listen to what he says about Samaritans. He's telling the story of the Samaritan woman. It says, that, how is it that you being a Jew, this is what the Samaritan woman is saying, how is it you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? John is quoting something that she said. Then he gives his own interpretation. Now it's outside the court, so he gives his analysis. He's like, the reason why she said this is because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So John is saying, like, the Samaritan woman said, how can you ask me for this? And he's saying the reason why is because we Jews, we don't have any dealing with those Samaritans. And everybody knew that. So it was a very, he's basically saying, this is an uncommon question because Jews and Samaritans, they don't talk to each other. Why? Why do they hate each other so much? When the kingdom split, Samaria, the northern kingdom, started serving other gods. They started marrying from outside of their, of their religion and their culture, and they brought in other gods and other forms of worship. So the Jews over here in Jerusalem saw them as heathen and as pagans because not only they allowed Gentiles in, but they married with them, and then their politics got all involved. You know, when politics gets involved, you know how that is. And they got all kinds of messed up and intermarriage and all that stuff. Now, before we kind of throw the Samaritans under the bus here, it's not 100% their fault that they had to leave the true God. Because back then, you could only worship God in one place, which was where? In the temple. And the temple only existed in Jerusalem. So when they said, bye-bye to you guys, they basically said, not only we cut you off from us like society-wise, but you're cut off from worship. So they kind of had no other choice, so they found their own system and their own gods. The bottom line is, these people hated each other. They hated them for cutting us off from the temple, and they hated them for mixing with pagans and Gentiles and being despicable as far as they were concerned. So much so, I'll give you another verse. I'll give you a passage from Luke chapter 9, and I'm going to show you this passage up here on the screen. Before I show you the passage, it is, being, it is discussing James and John one time they're on the road with Jesus and they're approaching Samaria. James and John. Okay, when you look at like the heads of the church, you had Jesus and you had the 12, but of the 12, it was like Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. So Peter, James, and John, these guys were high guys, very close to Jesus. Look at what these guys say. It says, as they went, they entered into a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Meaning they didn't receive Jesus because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They wanted nothing to do with him. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, what do you think they said? James and John, what do you think they said? We were going into Samaria to preach about Jesus. They said, we don't want Jesus. We don't have anything to do with him. They don't know him. They need the gospel. James and John, the evangelists, the apostles, the ones whom we name churches after, we name our kids after them. What did they say? Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Like, very casual. Not like, hey, like, just like, you know, we need to pick up lunch. Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, it needs something from, and let's, let's command fire. Should we do the fire thing right now? Like, let's just smite them now. Or do you want to do that tomorrow after breakfast? Like, when should we smite them? And it was just very casual. It was no big deal for them. That's how they viewed Samaritans. Now, with that as our backdrop, let's go into the parable. The parable begins with a man who is lying half dead on the side of the road, beaten severely. And I told you, there's three people that matter in Jewish society. There's Jews, there's Levites, there's priests. Okay, it's one, two, and then three. And it's always this sequence. Once you hear priest, 
than Levite, you automatically are going to hear Jews come right after that. Just exactly like if I say to you, like, you know, like, um, uh, like the joke, uh, uh, a priest, a rabbi, and a minister walk into a bar. Like it's always the, the priest, a rabbi, and it's a priest, a rabbi, and a minister. So once you hear, I got a joke, a priest, a rabbi, you're going to think a minister. But if I came to you and said, a priest, a rabbi, and a, you know, uh, a podiatrist, okay, like you'd be like, like what? Like it doesn't fit. It's a priest, a rabbi, and a minister. I've always thought podiatrist is a funny sounding job to look at feet all day. So that's why I picked that one, okay? How about, how about it maybe one more, more relatable? Like in the church, okay, we have congregation and then from the congregation a subset is deacons and then from the deacons a subset becomes priest okay congregation deacon priest so once i say okay not the congregation not the deacon you automatically think the priest that's the way it should be let's hear let's see what happens in the story now by chance a certain priest came down that road okay now likewise a levite okay so you started the joke off here. You said, a priest, a rabbi, and like, as soon as they hear this, they know where this is going to go. Like, put yourself in the listeners. A man half dead. It's a story about loving your neighbor. A man half dead. A priest walks by, doesn't help. A Levite walks by, doesn't help. And you in your mind, you're like, I know where this is going. Because it shows that the priests and the Levites, they're messed up. And we don't know why they didn't help, but whatever. We don't care why they didn't help. But we know who the hero of the story is going to be. The hero is going to be a, a Jew. It's very easy. A priest didn't help. A Levite didn't help. A Jew's going to come in and he's going to help. And this is just like, this makes sense. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says that a certain Samaritan, whoa, they said, I beg your pardon? A certain Samaritan. Like a minute ago, I told you, Samaritans are the enemies. A minute ago, I told you congregation, deacon, priest. So let's say I say to you, okay, in, we're going to, it's not going to be the congregation who's going to say this piece of the service. It's not going to be the deacon who says it. It's going to be the, but then I say, what's the, op, what's the enemy of the priest? A, what's, what's the opposite of a priest? A podiatrist, okay. A podiatrist, okay. <laughs> not the congregation, not the deacon, but the podiatrist comes in. And that's, that's how out of left field this was, okay? But a podiatrist isn't bad. We don't, we know nothing against, anyone here podiatrist? Okay, nothing against them. Let's say, let's say like a, a, a drug dealer, okay? Like a, 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 the, the people who steal kids, the kidnapper kids, or those people, you know the people on the airplane who recline the seat the whole way, like someone evil, those people. Just no regard for society's rules, okay? That's what they hear. They heard a priest, they heard a Levite, they expected a Jew, but then they got the enemy, a Samaritan? Back to the story. They hear a Samaritan, and all of a sudden, okay, you're in their shoes. What do you think the Samaritan's going to do in the story? What's the Samaritan going to do? A Jew, half dead, a Samaritan walking by. How's the story going to end? Oh, he's going to finish him off. Yeah. He was half dead. He's about to be 100% dead. About to rob him. About to kick him. About to ruin the whole day. Ruin the whole story. Jesus says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, who came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. What? Compassion? He cared? 
He can minister to him? What? Verse 34. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him? Like, took care of him. I'm going to take care of him. No. Like, took care of him. At his own personal cost. His own animal. His own wine. His own oil. He even gives the credit card to the inn guy and says, whatever expenses, that's on me. And the Jews who are listening to her are like, what? Like, just to show you, like, I'm trying to think of some, a parallel here. The only thing I could think of, think of like when there's a movie and it's like, Superman, we need you. Superman, we need you. And then Superman decides not to come. And then while Superman is, is you know, brushing his teeth or whatever it may be, then the bad guy has a change of heart and goes and starts to go fund me for the victim or something like that. That's what this is like. Like the bad guy, the green goblin, the Doc Ock guy, like the, 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 whatever the guy from the Zod or whatever it was, that guy is now the hero. Like what happened to the movie? But that's the way these people are listening to it. And our lesson is about the kingdom of God. So here's our lesson for today. Where's the kingdom of God? Where's the kingdom of God? Where's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where you least expect it. The kingdom of God is where you least expect expected the kingdom came to this story in the least likely character in the least likely manner and I believe that the kingdom of God is amongst us the kingdom of God is in our midst like we said earlier the kingdom of God is within us and you can find it every day but my experience says usually you don't find it where you're looking for it because when we think kingdom of God, we think what? Big things. Kingdom of God, answers to prayers. Big things, miraculous, healing, signs, wonders. Writing in the sky, marry him, dump her. Like that's what we want. Big things. That's the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, the same way that the hearers in Jesus' time wanted to see the kingdom come in power and glory and majesty. That's what they wanted. And they got the exact opposite of that. Same thing is for us. I'm going to go back to this verse that I showed you in the beginning from Luke 17. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Means it's not what you're always looking for. Nor will they say, see here, see there. The kingdom of God is within you. It's in your midst. Stop looking. What Jesus is saying, let me interpret this. Stop looking for an outward kingdom. Stop looking for big kingdom. Stop looking for big signs. Stop looking for big miracles. Stop looking for enormous things and start looking in the right place. For example, let me give you a few examples of how the kingdom of God may come in the least way you expect it. We want the kingdom of God to come in strength. Maybe the kingdom of God comes to you in weakness. We want the kingdom of God to come in answers. Maybe the kingdom of God comes in problems. Like, come on, let's be honest. You got a story and I got a story. And if we're honest, we probably got several stories. We each got a story that says we did not want this to come into our life. We hated this. We resisted this. And now we couldn't get rid of it. And what we discovered, that was the kingdom of God coming to my life. Kingdom of God came through that problem. Kingdom of God came through that weakness. Kingdom of God came. We fasted and we prayed and please God and take it away and take it away. And he didn't take it away. And that's how the kingdom of God came to my family. And that's how we are here in the kingdom of God now. We all have a story. Kingdom of God doesn't come always in answers. Sometimes it comes in questions. Sometimes the kingdom of God, I'll show you an example right here. St. Paul, 
before he had converted to Christianity, was a Christian killer. He was persecuting Christianity, and then the kingdom of God hit him. One day as he was walking down the road, the kingdom of God said, enough is enough. And listen to what the kingdom of God said to him when it landed on his head. Go, it was Acts 9, verse 15 through 17. It says, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Welcome to the kingdom of God, St. Paul. It's going to be how much you're going to suffer for his sake. Congratulations. Welcome to the family. Kingdom of God comes in trials. Kingdom of God comes in suffering. Kingdom of God comes in the hard life. Maybe, let's shift gears. Maybe the kingdom of God comes in the least likely expected way. Maybe the kingdom of God comes in the form of an obedience to a commandment that you are resisting and that you have seen it in front of you and then you know that God is telling you to do this and that seems like that's going to take you the furthest direction from the kingdom of God, but until you obey it, you will not experience the kingdom of God. Maybe the kingdom of God is in the command to forgive, to finally let go. And maybe until you obey that, you will be living outside the kingdom of God, wondering why you don't have the peace, why you don't have the joy, why you don't have all that good stuff that the Bible talks about. Well, the answer is because the kingdom of God is there. It's in your midst. But it's not in the form that you always expected. Maybe the kingdom of God is in a step of faith that goes against logic. The kingdom of God is to take that step that you know that God is pushing you to take, to leave that job or to take that job. To, to end that relationship and to trust in him that he'll provide or to fight for that relationship and stay and do the, what God wants you to do. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that the kingdom of God is not in the things that we always expected. Lastly, maybe the kingdom of God is just in the mundane, ordinary, everyday moments of life. Maybe the kingdom of God is there on the couch when you're sitting on the couch with your son just watching TV. Maybe it's in a walk with your spouse on a lazy Saturday afternoon. Maybe the kingdom of God is when you're alone, waiting for whatever it may be. You can find the kingdom of God there. Because when we hear the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus sets the most unexpected ending to this thing to tell you that the kingdom of God is here. It's amongst us. It's within us. It's there. Thy kingdom come. Pray it when you go home. Thy kingdom come when you go home. Thy kingdom come when you go into the office. Thy kingdom come when you go to the podiatrist. Thy kingdom come everywhere you go. Thy kingdom come when you meet with your accountant. Thy kingdom come when you open the Bible. Thy kingdom come when you're sitting in the room by yourself. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. But it often comes in the form that you least expect it. That's why our prayer for this week is going to be this. Lord, open my eyes that I may see. Say that with me, all together. Lord, open my eyes that I may see. Again, I want to hear Leesburg saying it out loud as well, all together. Lord, open my eyes that I may see. This prayer is based on a passage from 2 Kings chapter 6 in the Old Testament. And the story goes like this, that the Jews were being attacked by Syria at this point in time. And the prophet Elisha, okay, he's the man of God at the time. He's with the king. And he's telling the king, don't worry, God is going to deliver us from the Syrians. They go to sleep that night. They wake up in the morning, and what the Syrians had done overnight is surround the city with the horses and the, and the armies and the cannons and the whatever it may be. And when they wake up in the morning, the king, rightly so, is terrified because he sees his city surrounded by the enemy. Elisha says to him, in essence, don't worry. 
Relax. God's got this. And what Elisha says to him is, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In other words, heaven is here. Don't worry. And the king's like, okay, I trust you, but like I see a lot of them. And I see very few of us. And the king was a little concerned. And that's when Elisha prays this. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What's the lesson there? Heaven was there. The kingdom was there with the king, with the people. The kingdom was there, but they just couldn't see it because they were looking for it in a certain way. They were looking for cannons. They were looking for horses and they were looking for stuff. But they had a spiritual kingdom with them. And that's why Elisha prayed and said, Lord. First he told him, don't worry. The kingdom is with you. And he said, we can't. He just said, pray, Lord, open their eyes. And God opened their eyes. And they saw that heaven was with them. Right where they were. In their midst. The kingdom of God does not come by observation. The kingdom of God is within you. And I think the same thing for every single one of us. Heaven is here. But we just have to pray, Lord, open my eyes to see it. So that's my challenge for us this week. Everywhere we go, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. I'm driving. Lord, open my eyes that I may see. I'm, I'm waiting. Lord, open my eyes that I may see. I'm going in to have that tough conversation with someone at home or I'm waiting for a, a, a meeting at work. Lord, open my eyes that I may see that the kingdom is here and it's with me and I can enter and experience it. But I got to have eyes to see because the kingdom does not come in the way we always expect it to come but it is always there. I want you to forget the idea that when I say the kingdom of God, forget the idea that the kingdom of God is a voice shines, a voice comes from heaven and a light shines down on you and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Yes, I was in the kingdom of God today. That's not how the kingdom comes. Okay, That's, that happens every now and then. It's never happened to me. What's much more likely to happen is that the kingdom of God is there in the quiet, in the stillness. It's there. I promise you it's there. But we just have to pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. I want to finish here with a quote from a Catholic priest named Father Thomas Keating. Quote is long, but it's so beautiful. Stick with me here on this. It says, the kingdom of God is active in failure, ordinariness, and everydayness. Again, the kingdom of God is active in failure, ordinariness, everydayness. If we wait for a miraculous rescue of a vindictive triumph or some idealized lifestyle to appear, we are looking for the wrong kingdom, certainly not the one that Jesus is revealing. There is no place to go to find the kingdom because it is always close at hand. That's a good one to get. There's no place to go to to find the kingdom because it's already close at hand. It's always close at hand. You don't got to go to it. We do, not lead to, we do not need to look for success because the kingdom is equally present in failure. The kingdom of God, oh my goodness, look how beautiful this is. The kingdom of God may be most active in what is most unacceptable to us. I don't know about you, but my experience says this is 100% true. And Jesus' parable for us today makes it evident. Because today in the story of the Good Samaritan, the wild surprise ending was that the kingdom of God came in the most unexpected way. Jesus started this story by saying, I'm going to tell you the most important command. It's love. It's love. It's love. And then he says the model of this love 
is the one that you call enemy. The hated one, he's the example. Like to the Jews, the Samaritans represented everything that was not of the kingdom. And Jesus said, that's actually the model of the kingdom. Maybe for you, maybe for you, there's certain things that you're saying, that's not of the kingdom. That's the evil. We don't want that. We want this. Jesus is saying, but actually, that's the path I'm giving you for you to live inside the kingdom. Will you accept it or not accept it? What's your idea of the kingdom? What formula are you using to try to get there? Whatever it is. In Jesus' day, the people had a formula for the kingdom. Jesus had the opposite formula. And I believe the same is true today. You have a path. It's get this job, get this promotion, get this miracle, get this answer, all this, and that's the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I got a different path. But one thing we know for sure, regardless of what we believe, the kingdom of God is here, it's within our midst. And it's here amongst us. And we can find it. And our prayer, my prayer for myself, my prayer for you, as we pray, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, we're going to couple that and say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see that I may see your kingdom in the mundane, that I may see your kingdom in the ordinary, that I may see your kingdom in the painful, that I may see your, your kingdom in the failure, because I know without a shadow of a doubt that the kingdom of God is here and is within us, and it's just up to us to pray that God opens our eyes to see it. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is not far from us, that we are not far from you, that you are here amongst us. Your kingdom is here, and you want to shine forth your, 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 your kingdom in all of our lives. But give us eyes to see, Lord. Give us eyes that we may see how you are working in our lives and how you're trying to bring us closer into your kingdom. Give us eyes, Lord, to trust that you're working in the mundane, in the ordinary, even in the failures of life. And we trust, Lord, that when we do that, and we're able to trust you in that, that your kingdom will be truly glorified and that we'll see it come in power in our lives. We ask these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from We hope today's message inspires you in your faith journey. And at the end of this episode, we invite you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel.